I've asked this question so many times over the years. What is faith? The Bible tells us that without it, it's impossible to please God and whatever is not done by it. In other words, whatever is not done by faith is sin. That seems pretty serious, and so it's something I really want to understand and learn about better. I remember years ago while in one of my early morning prayer vigils. If you've been listening to my podcast, you you know that I was getting up in the middle of the night and spending some good quality time with the Lord over a period of several years. And it was in the middle of the night, again, in this situation where I felt God start to speak to me about this idea that it's okay to practice faith, to practice the things of heaven. We practice music, we practice sports, we practice weddings, but often we don't practice our faith. We just somehow expect, right, that we should just walk in the things of the Spirit, and yet we haven't really taken the time to think about and understand the Spirit or to test what we believe we're seeing and hearing from God. And that's not to say there aren't moments where God will use us in something that we don't quite understand. I'm just saying that as a basic approach in our relationship with God, that we can and we should be practicing our intentional interaction with him, learning to understand the expression of the kingdom of God in our lives. And I I think there's something key here about that thought I just said. Our practice of faith is something that we do where it's, it's an intentional interaction with God. In other words, the things we experience of the kingdom, we're engaging intentionally rather than just having them happen to us by accident. And in the beginning, in, in, in our youngness in Christ, you know, there may be, and I guess even as we grow older in Christ, there may be things we experience that just seem to sort of accidentally happen. But I'm really into this idea that there are laws of the kingdom that we can engage in as we learn them and be very intentional about our interaction with Christ in his kingdom. Our whole life, as it relates to this idea of, of practice, we're born as infants, right? And we need to first be inspired to walk, to talk, to eat solid food. And then we spend weeks and we spend months and years actually working on those skills. We generally don't go from not talking to talking. We practice, right? We hear, we imitate, we grow in our skill. And and then eventually that skill becomes a part of who we are. We get to the point where we no longer need to even think about it. We just be and do, we just are, you know? And this process is the way in which we discover and grow into our understanding of how to interact with the world around us. So that's what I've been doing since having that early morning discussion with God is just testing the waters. And and as he said, it's okay to practice. I've been practicing. I, I spend much time sitting before the Lord, thinking and meditating around the ideas presented in scripture and around the, the specific thoughts or words that I feel that God is speaking into my heart and my spirit. And my goal is to practice and to test so that I can get better at it. So I'm growing into my discovery and understanding of the spiritual world around me and of God's kingdom. Uh, okay, you ready? Yeah. All right. Camera's rolling. Action. Three, two, one. 
I'm a hobbyist filmmaker, and one of the biggest mistakes that independent filmmakers make is to not make films. And, and that's for a lot of different reasons. We think we need better camera or a different lens, or we need better actors or locations, when really what we need is to just get down and make films. And I've recognized this temptation and mindset in me. And, and out of that recognition, I've made choices to just do it with whatever gear with whatever story or location I have. And it's amazing to me that every time I make a new film, even those that I don't think turned out too well, I end up having learned so much and it causes me to grow deeper in my artistry. A couple years ago, I was working on a narrative film for a pastor friend in his church. And though it wasn't a perfect production, I found myself able to think faster about lens choices, to think faster about camera settings. And if I hadn't been pushing myself to make short films you know, prior to this time, I would never have been able to adapt and to grow in my speed of thinking on the production with the church. So for me, this is one of the many living testimonies of the importance of practice as Christians we must apply the same principle, I think, when it comes to the things of heaven, and especially when it comes to the things of heaven, because we're so rooted and grounded in our perception and understanding of the physical realm, we need to learn how to see and, and observe and interact with that heavenly realm and practice living in that realm and living by the Spirit through faith. And this is the most important aspect of life, right? To be in relationship and active involvement with our God and his kingdom. As I've said in other podcasts, relationship assumes communication. He hears me, I hear him, and I can imitate, I can practice, I can walk out what I see him doing. So we must practice so that we get better at kingdom things, I believe. And I think as we practice, it's going to help us think faster and think more quality thoughts. Just like when filming with the pastor for the church, I was able to think faster about lens choices or camera settings. As we practice the kingdom of God, we're going to start thinking faster and thinking more quality thoughts. Why? Because we've practiced learning and responding to God's voice. We've tested the waters. We've started to get more familiar with the sights and the sounds and the sensations of our, of our involvement with that kingdom. Romans 10:17 says this, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In contemplating faith, it's very important to understand that it comes from and is rooted in hearing the word of God. His voice is his word. John 10:27 says this, Jesus says this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So one of the first things that we need to sell in our hearts as the sheep of Christ is this, we hear his voice. And because we hear his voice, we follow him. 
To me, the testimony of Scripture makes it very clear from cover to cover. God speaks to his people. His word is laying a foundation of faith within us. Because remember, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. His word is laying the foundation of faith within us. Jesus says we hear it. And if we can hear it, there's there's got to be a way in which to judge it, right? And know for certain it's him talking. And if we can know for certain that it's him that's talking, then we can follow him and do what we've heard him say. The thing oftentimes that we're most wrestling with is probably really not so much about whether or not we hear his voice, but rather how to better discern it from the clutter of other voices, right? But let's start with the correct foundation. If we are in Christ, meaning we've repented of our sins, we've put our faith in Jesus, we've acknowledged that he's the son of God who died for us, and was raised from the dead by the Father. So if you truly believe this and you make this your confession, then you are born again. And by virtue of that rebirth, right? By virtue of that rebirth, you now hear his voice. You just do. It's done. It's settled. Child of God, hearer of God's voice. All right. You may be struggling to believe you can hear his voice, but it's not about what you feel. It's time to start to mature and to stand on the truth, all right? It's about what he's speaking over us through his word. You hear his voice. Declare it daily. Declare it every minute if you need to, but settle on that fact. Make every thought that's contrary to his word. Make those thoughts the liar and make his word the truth in your mind and in your heart. We are in a process of being conformed to the image of Christ. So this means that we're on a journey of getting our thoughts and our beliefs and our actions into alignment with him and his truth. And it's going to take our consistent acknowledgement. It's going to take our consistent leaning into him in the face of thoughts and emotions that scream at us and they're saying we can't hear him. It's going to take us practicing, right? So then how do we learn to extract his voice from all the other voices? It takes time and practice and some stepping out in what we think he's saying. I've learned over a process of years, having put myself in positions where I needed to hear him, that I started to recognize patterns of voice, of his voice in my life. And through trial and error, through the Bible, through counsel and godly instruction from from godly leaders and friends and and then often on a hunch that seemed to be him, you know, something I just sensed inside. I, I stepped out, I tested the waters and there were outcomes whereby I could then judge the fruits of my responses. So as I said before, you know, in my early morning prayer vigils, this one day God just really started to speak to me about practice and that it was okay to practice the things of God. I want you to participate with me in just this little mental exercise. If I don't know where you're at right now, but if you can, of, of course, don't do this if it's going to put you in a dangerous situation. But if you're in a place where you can close your eyes and just start to see and picture the things I'm saying in your mind, that would be cool. So picture this. You're at this huge party. Okay. Okay the son or daughter of really close family friends has just been married. Everyone's out on the dance floor celebrating. You're about to join them out on the dance floor and you hear your mother calling you from across the room. And so you, you head over to her and you get to her and she says something like this to you. Hey, 
I just found out there isn't enough food for this reception. I, I need you to do something about it. What? She's asking you to fix the situation of this lack of food for everybody, All right. So now you may be getting angry. How can your mom even seriously consider such a ridiculous request? I mean, what a horrible expectation she's putting on you, right? But she says, and she continues to say, I don't think they have enough and they're gonna run out. Please do something. At this point, I imagine you'd be pretty upset and even if you attempted to comply with what is probably the most ridiculous request she's ever asked of you, you're driving to the store and you're wondering, how am I going to pay for food for all these people? I think by now you're probably most likely telling her off in your imagination. And there's probably other more colorful language that you'd come up with as you tell her off, right? And isn't this the way it would go if anyone made such a request of you? You might start to wonder, is your mom evil for even asking such a thing? And I think, too, anyone on the outside looking in and understanding the scope of what she's asking would agree with you. This Something's wrong with this lady, right? She's evil. All right, so can you see that scenario as I described it? Can you see that in your mind? I want you to keep on seeing it, but this time, let's change it up a bit. You're headed to the dance floor. Your mom comes to you. She asks you to do something about the food situation. All right, to those outside of your inner circle, they might have the same angry thoughts and misgivings about this that you might have, but you know something different about your mother that most others don't know. She's sick. And you've been seeing this happen more and more over the years where she imagines, right, some crazy scenario in her head and she asks you to fix it. And of course, in the beginning you were angry, but over time you started to realize what was going on and recognizing the sickness that was starting to happen in her mind. And, and so now instead of anger, you understand there's some, there's some um, compassion, right? Some loving compassion. So are you with me in this? Are you seeing this in your mind? What's going on? Your perspective and your understanding of your mother, your responses to her unreasonable requests, they're all shaped around the perspective and the history of what you've walked through with her. You know she's sick. She's not evil, as someone looking in from the outside might assume. So again, keeping this vision in your mind, let's, let's change this scenario again. You're about to get out on the dance floor. You hear your mother calling you. She's upset about the food. She asks you to do something about it. You know she's not evil. And in this scenario, you know she's not sick. You know that through all your growing up years, she's watched you over and over work, private miracles, similar to what's needed here. All right, she's watched you multiply food, right? So if in fact you've been practicing similar private miracles as you're growing up, now, if this is what she's observed of you, there's reasonable context for her request to you, right? To do something about the food situation, why? Because she's watched you do similar miracles, maybe for years. And it turns out in this case, it's not evil, it's not sickness, 
that request may appear that way to outsiders, but in reality, the request actually makes total sense between the two of you. All right, but let's expand it a little further. Before you were born, an angel also appeared to your mother to announce to her that she was pregnant with a son, even though she had never been with a man before. And then when you were born, there were people who prophesied over you about who you were. You were this awaited coming Messiah. And she heard and she cherished those things in her heart all these years. So she knew from the beginning there was something different and something that was very special about you. And if you haven't figured it out yet, but I assume you probably have, you know where these scenarios have been heading. This is what happened to Jesus at the wedding feast in Cana. So, so think about it. A mother comes to her son, Mary, comes to Jesus, and she asks such things of Jesus. Do something about this lack of wine, right? She saw that the wine was running out, and she's asking Jesus to do something about it. So was she crazy? Was she sick? Was she evil? I think something else is going on here. And this is what the Holy Spirit was speaking to me one night about when he said, it's okay to practice the things of the kingdom. I suspect that's what was happening in Mary's home. Jesus was practicing the kingdom. And she witnessed in the privacy of her home miracles that were similar things like this. It, this was something she knew he could do. She wasn't just at this wedding, all of a sudden springing this on him, do something about this. That was not at all what was going on. This was based on something she had seen and observed as she watched her son practice in her home. Now, of course, the scripture doesn't tell us this detail, but this is just what I'm deducting out of the context of the story and, and just trying to imagine how this would play out if it were playing out today. I believe Jesus practiced the kingdom, okay? I think her knowledge of him as the son of God helped but I don't think it was the only factor going on here. Um, she's been watching him maybe do these miracles of provision and multiplying things in the home, maybe even turning water into the wine or, or multiplication of food when the family was in secret need. I, I, I actually can imagine this. Jesus is growing up. He's working out food multiplication miracles, right, as he practices his father's kingdom. And then Mary packages up the food that he's, that he's multiplied and takes it to a neighbor whose family's in great need. You know, the neighbors didn't know where it was coming from, but Mary did. And I can kind of see this as a little secret, right, between Mary and Jesus. To me, this request that seems evil or ridiculous to anyone who may have observed it, you know, perhaps the servants who Mary talked to, and she instructed them to do exactly as Jesus would tell them. It's actually really a most reasonable request, and it's based off of, again, her repeated witness to the miracles that Jesus had been working in private. He's been practicing his father's kingdom all these years. I believe that anyways. So to me, this idea of Jesus through the years practicing private miracles instructs me that I can practice the things of the kingdom of God as well. And I should practice just as he did. You've been listening to God's Kingdom Outside the Box. If you enjoyed this episode, please let me know. I'd love to hear your comments, your questions about what we talked about today. And also let me know if there's a topic you'd like me to cover in a future broadcast. You can email me at jim at jimvince.com. And you can also leave me a voicemail from the show notes. And that's it. I'll talk to you next time.